Why does your sweater have mushrooms on it? Um, the bag says so far gone. What have I told you about psychedelics at work, Kyle? I don't do psychedelics at work. I do psychedelics at home so I can put up with work. God, I fucking hate you guys. Welcome to the Small Business Surgeon Podcast, the show where we dissect the businesses of top producers, examine their growth strategies, and share with you the bare bones of their success. I am your host, Samuel Smith, and I'm glad you're here. Let's operate. Hey guys, what's up? Welcome to Sam and Kyle See What's Up, the uh, show in the Small Business Surgeon uh, range that addresses like shit that's going on around the world because it's super hard to talk about mindset and business if we don't take uh, the rest of it into account. So uh, joining me today, just like last week, is Kyle. Say hello, Kyle. Hello, Kyle. There he is. Isn't he wonderful? How's your week been, mate? You doing okay? It's actually been pretty good. Had a really nice weekend. Good, good. You went to the shooting range. I, I did. Yeah, I did. My uh, my girlfriend bought a new car. Like, uh-huh. It was it was very eventful. Nice, nice, nice. So yeah, we decided to uh, to put on this show. We do the uh, the interviews on Mondays and Friday fires on Fridays. But you know, it was uh, it was time we started talking about some uh, some of the stuff going on in the world. So um, we came up with Sam and Kyle. See what's up. We blatantly 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 copied the uh, format of Andy Frisella's show Andy and DJ cruise the internet uh, so a huge thanks to uh, to them even though they don't listen that is where we took the idea from so uh, they must get credit for it um, so what we do is uh, the guys at Texas Media Foundry pull three headlines from around the internet for the news for the week and they put them in front of me um, Right now, I've not seen them. Uh, Kyle has seen them. Uh, he's kind of like my Jamie. Um, he's he's very much like uh, like Jamie is to Joe around here. That the the entire show wouldn't actually exist without Kyle. So it's time to put him in front of the microphone, and uh, we're going to discuss three news headlines, and then we're going to have a fourth headline that's a little bit lighter at the end, and we'll decide whether that's uh, super cool or whether it's Shut Up Fool, and uh, Kyle will play the appropriate soundbite. So, uh, all right, what do you got for us this week, Kyle? What's going on, man? I guess uh, first up on the docket is NPR.org with surging gasoline prices bring back memories of past energy wars. Oh, man. And this one was interesting to me because I do not remember the last one. I wasn't really around for the last gas crisis. I, I wasn't either. I mean, the last gas crisis was in... 73 74 it was like a long long time ago um and even scrolling through this article we see uh, black and white pictures of cars lined up for for miles and they're saying the price at the pump now is higher than it's ever been even adjusted for inflation which is uh which is quite quite shocking i mean where do you even start with gas prices so i started to take a look and have a think about this and you know I don't think it's it's very political at all, whether it's Trump's fault or Biden's fault or whatever. I think if we go back and, and look at some historical data, so I'm going to type in on here um, and pick some historical data for oil, uh, let's say over the last five years. So, uh, all right. Google has spat me out on macrotrends.net. And I can see here the price of crude oil uh, per barrel in 2017 was uh, when the chart started, I've just gone back five years, it was $60 a barrel, um, dipping to a low in 2020 of just over $20 a barrel, and then today's price of almost $110 a barrel. So, man, 
realistically, we should have been from 2017 to now, we should have been somewhere around 70 to $80 a barrel anyway, just given natural growth over time. Let me pull this chart back to 10 years. I've got one over all the way back to 1950 that uh, highlights the recessions. Well, yeah, but when we look at the 10 year chart, right? Mm -hmm. 10 years ago, um, oil was $120 a barrel 10 years ago. Um, it's true. February you know, 2012, it was at 133.41. So is Putin to blame for high gas prices or is it more of like the energy market? If I, if I take this graph and I look at it and I lay some straight lines and some rulers across it, it as much as I hate high petrol prices, um, I go back 20 years to 2002 and it's $40 a, a barrel. And a couple of weeks ago, it was $80 a barrel. That's doubled since 2002. Well, houses are doubled since 2002. Bread's doubled. And food's doubled. And fucking, I mean, price of every commodity I can think of has doubled. And so, I don't know. Oil follows. Like, you know, why wouldn't it? And yes, we've got the Trump guys saying, well, oil prices were so low when he was in power. Um so when Trump took office, when did Trump take office? 2016? January 20th of 2016, yeah. So when we go back to 2016, you know, Trump's uh, Trump's oil was at $40.28 a barrel in January of 2016. Um, so during Trump's presidency, right up until, um, oh, I don't know how to work this MacBook. It's just, it's just, made, it's just made me lose my page. Um, did you close it? It's, it's gone. Here we go. So... At the start of Trump's presidency, oil had just dipped. It had dropped in that year from $72 a barrel to $40 a barrel. And I noticed during Trump's presidency, all the way through August, September of 2018, it was at 73 and then it dropped down to 50 in December of 2018. But it was always right in between, spent the majority of Trump's presidency in between $50 and $70 a barrel. What caused it to plummet was obviously a massive, massive, massive contraction in the amount of demand for oil. People stopped going to work. Right. So I don't think that we can really go, Trump's energy policies were amazing. They forced down the price of oil. Because when, when, we, when we take the media narrative out and we actually look at the actual prices over the course of his election, they remained fairly stable from that you know, 50 to $70 kind of price range. So I think that really what we're seeing here, let's see it's, you know, yes, we're at $110 a barrel right now because there's all kinds of war rumblings and stuff. But really, it seems as though the natural price of a barrel of oil for the last five years has been somewhere between 50 to $70 and it will continue to be somewhere between 50 to 70 dollars as long as people stop fucking around dropping bombs on other people so you think it's just the this high price is gonna pass the same way it always has no i didn't say no that. i think i i don't know if oil's getting more expensive or if our dollar's getting worth less i think our spending power is going down. i think this is more of um more of the, the effects of inflation than the price of the commodity itself. I think everything's going up as opposed to just oil going up. Mm -hmm. But then oil does going up has a knock-on effect on everything. I mean, one of my clients this week, you, you know we've got, for, for those of you that don't know, 
uh, Texas Media Foundry specializes in um, video, uh, a lot of video in the transportation industry. We have a lot of clients that have uh, 18 wheelers and trucking companies. They're looking for uh, driver recruitment videos and stuff like that to slow down their churn. They're, they're marketing themselves as an attractive place uh, for, for people to come and work. So we help with a lot of that. And one of my, um, one of my clients told me that their fuel surcharge had gone up 59% in the last six weeks. That says to me that there's way more of a problem coming than, uh, than higher gas prices. And are the gas prices being manipulated by the energy companies? Because energy companies, so. energy company profits are through the fucking roof. Yeah, you can't tell me that gas costs $4 a gallon once it's already been refined. Like the bombs dropped after this gas got refined and shipped. So why did it go from two whatever to four dollars overnight? Yeah, we were hovering right around two eighty to three bucks. You can't pretty... tell me that like that's not demand. That's right. Not and we we've, we've been there pretty consistently for the last eighteen months or so, <laughs> between two and three dollars. And um, I think it's the yes. energy companies saw their opportunity to make some money and they're going to take it. I I think that I am worried about the overall effect it's going to have on the economy. Mm -hmm. I mean, what happens to the price of look at the price of fertilizer um, for for the fields because that a, a lot of fertilizer comes from the petroleum industry. Um, I was I saw a chart the other day that was talking about like uh, cost to fill up like a sixty liter full gas tank mm -hmm. versus your monthly income. Mm -hmm. uh, in the United States, it's one and a half percent of the average monthly income to fill up your tank. Oh wow! And the Philippines, it's twenty five and a quarter. Wow. Wow, that's crazy. So that's why they ride around on scooters and stuff is because mm -hmm. gas is so much more expensive relative to what they make. Mm -hmm. Man. And like, so like it's it's we're struggling out here. Imagine what people that aren't making at seven twenty five minimum. Yeah. Are making. Yeah. Like they're making like in the Philippines, what is it like a thousand dollars is a really, really good living? Well, I mean if it costs you twenty five bucks to fill up your car and then all of a sudden, you know, it's costing you fifty bucks to fill up your car and you fill your car you know, six times a month that's an extra 150 bucks that you don't have to spend on groceries, which are more expensive mm -hmm. or spend on going to the movies or spend, I mean, even a beer is five bucks now. Um, I just, I don't know where this shit's going, mate. Um, you got any ideas? I'm hoping it'll correct itself soon. Um, the hopeful part of me says that the 23 and younger crowd knows it's all been bullshit for the past I just yeah, I just hope it, they don't believe that that this is all Putin's fault. This no, I, I I really hope they can look past the what's being fed to them on their screens. This has very little to do with Putin. If you go and look at the historical oil charts, um, and I'm using uh, again, I just googled it and it came up with MacroTrends.net, which is showing me the uh, crude oil price history, and I can go back uh, fifty plus years on this. But when when you go look at it, um, you could you could theoretically say that this last spike between January and now is Putin's fault. But the spike between January and now is only $30 a barrel. In fact, yeah. So it's gone from, it's not even that, it's $20 a barrel. We've seen a $20 a barrel spike, but we've seen a 30% increase in the cost of the fucking product at the end of the day. So you tell me this is not a money grab by oil companies based on fear that's being generated by a complicit media. Um, dude, it's gone up $20 a barrel. That's it. Mm -hmm. And our gas prices almost like 
it's ridiculous. It's it's gone up. At the least math 30%. doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any sense and unless until you count for greed. Unless we until you count for the oil and energy companies making their money because somebody shouted the W word. Yeah. So essentially, we've seen a a twenty dollars. So we've seen a fifteen percent rise in the cost of the raw product. No, barely. Um, we're seeing a 25, 30% increase. In, I don't know, man. It just seems like, um, it, it seems like we're, we're if, listen, like if, if, I, if I wanted to bankrupt the middle class, what would I do? You would take away their way to make their I'd, money. I'd take away the way to make the money, and then I would artificially inflate the cost of the essential goods and services that they needed in order to survive to take the money that they had saved. So now they can't make as much money, their money is worth less, and all their essentials cost more. Mm -hmm. I don't know, man. It, it, it seems feels like, like I'm being squeezed. It feels like I'm being robbed. It feels like a wealth transfer that I didn't ask for. But again, that's just... To the bunch of people who don't fucking need it. Right. There's, there's more than enough money to go around. I mean, it's not like Texas doesn't float on oil. Yeah. I mean, why don't we just start issuing our own drills and poking holes in the floor and see what we can find? I don't know. Teach them class. Know. Teach them how to refine it. All right, you're gonna get me all like pissed off. <laughs> what's the next? Uh, what's the next headline, Kyle? Uh, well, this one's not much better. Federal God Reserve to begin risky pursuit of a quote-unquote soft landing. This one comes from AP News. Oh my God! Federal, I don't know what a soft landing. A is. Soft landing. Um, you know, I used to fly in hot air balloons with my dad. Yeah. And. A good landing was considered any one that you could walk away from. Yeah, like a, in in the flying community, we have a saying that all takeoffs are optionals, but all landings are mandatory. Oh, wow. So you, you have to, as long as you walk away, you're good. <laughs> there are old aviators and there are bold aviators, but there are no old, bold <laughs> aviators. Is that not right? So what's it say? The Federal Reserve on Wednesday will launch one of the most difficult tasks a central bank can attempt. Raise borrowing costs enough to slow growth and tame high inflation, but not so much as to topple the economy into recession. Well, you're fucked. Like... Just as simple as that? It... Man, money is just the most complicated thing in the world, and it's made complicated by these people so fewer people understand it. Mm -hmm. But when you've got fractional reserve banking inventing money into existence... Uh, a rate of fucking, oh, what, I don't even know if it's 10 to 1 or 100 to 1 anymore. But, like, none of the money that we trade fucking exists and none of it's backed by anything, so how can we not have a recession? I don't know the answer to that because I'm not an, uh, an economist. But I also know I'm not a fucking thief either. And I don't understand how we can still have a currency that's based purely on faith and credit and nothing else, when the people who we entrust the faith and credit to have consistently failed to deliver what they promised. And all we have is this magic number of, of, of debt that keeps increasing. I don't understand this. Like, you can go to the debt ticker and just watch it climb, but I don't know what those numbers mean, I don't know how they're calculated, and I don't know how the hell you pay for that. If America was a business, um, it would have been bankrupt years ago. I don't understand how we're still continuing to operate. I don't understand how this all continues without coming down in a massive fucking crash. The only thing I understand is how to position myself so I'm not in the way of the crash. Uh, and I can position my business and other people's businesses to, to do the best here and to actually make profit out of this situation. 
Um, but geez, man, <laughs> how do we stop inflation? Like, you know, normally you raise interest rates, it dials it back a bit. Um, but again, we're not in anything that's normal that's been seen inside of any particular models that we've, we've cared to look at. Um, this isn't just another normal boom-bust recession cycle. I think this is a, a, a bust on the, on the equivalent level of 1929 or 1987. Um, I think it's going to come... What happened in 87? Uh, um, like, they lost all the money. This, it, they just misplaced it? Because money, like, is made up, mm-hmm. they can decide it's worthless. Like, just what oh, happened... like they did in Russia. Like they did to Russia. They said, hey, you know what? Guess what? Your money's not worth anything anymore. Well, Russia has now removed the taxes on its gold reserves to allow people to trade freely in gold without a 20% tax on top of it. Because they have gold reserves that can stabilize a currency. Um, and theoretically, so do we. That's at four bucks. Now, we know we were pulled off that in 1971. And the dollar became indexed to itself. And not against uh, anything. Man, it's just a mess. And I didn't make this mess. Like, <laughs> let's say our parents' generation lucked the fuck out. Guess why? Because they got born after a major world war. They got born into peace, love, and free sex. They fucking managed to have a, uh, a a house and a family on one income. Like, look at Homer Simpson's house. In 1991, it was normal. Fucking normal. Homer was a bastion of normalcy. He was supposed to be the uh, absolute demographic. If you sliced America in half, this is what the 35-year-old average working American family looked like. Homer and Marge. How big was their house? Pretty big. How many cars did they drive? Two, right? Yeah, huh? They had three kids, two cars. They lived well. Big house, lived well. I mean, they they had the same couch for well, yeah, a bunch. So they weren't doing that well. No, that's true. Um, but and and there were episodes where Homer was struggling for money, of course. But he was there with his mates. He had money to go out and drink. And what, what we're getting at here is that in 1990s America. It was seen as common and average for a male to be the breadwinner and for a single income to support a family of five. And Homer's income back then was the equivalent to about $50,000 a year right now. And so now, has our standard of living increased so much? Is that what it is? Maybe we've got more shit. Maybe it's more expensive. Maybe we have nicer things. I know my 2021 truck is a lot nicer than any truck I could buy in 1991. Mm-hmm. I know it for a fact. But has it got to the point where there's been no real increase in the earning capacity of the individual and the cost of goods has gone up and up and up and up and up? How do you fix that as a nation? I think there's two options. Uh, pay your, force your employers to pay your people more or entice your employees to ask for more. Yeah, but if I pay you more, where do I get that money from? The increased cost of goods that everything else has gone. Has okay, so I got to raise my prices mm-hmm. so I can raise your wages. Mm-hmm. So what happens to my clients who are struggling to pay their wages when we raise our prices. You see? 
It's a runaway train. Round and round it goes. So I don't know how to fix it. Um, we, just, I, we all have to agree on what the street value of a loaf of bread is. And... Exactly. Like a, a potato will always be worth a potato. <laughs> it will be something you can grow into other potatoes. It'll be something you can eat. It's like the potato is backed by the potato. Right. But the dollar is backed by... By nothing. Ones and zeros on your computer. So we've got to look at this. Like, is there going to be some kind of financial reset coming down the line? I think so. I think so too. Uh, and how painful is it going to be? <sighs> Man, I know a lot of people that are getting out of um, paper assets and moving to physical assets. Um, as in like gold and silver? As in gold, silver, real estate. Um, you know, a lot of people putting uh, speculative uh, investment money into crypto. Um, again, crypto is one where I, I've got some. I would like some more, but it's that... It's still that risk for me. It's that Hail Mary money. It's like, I don't know where crypto is going to end up, but it's so entirely different from anything else. Crypto's fucking phenomenal. It really is. The Achilles heel of crypto is and always will be regulation and government control. If a government says this is banned, we're not allowing it, they have enough far-reaching abilities to be able to disable entire platforms across entire nations and that for me is the huge achilles heel of crypto other than that man it's time to reinvent the banking system i'm, I'm all about crypto all about it but you know you just that... i think it'd be phenomenal if i could travel to mexico and just swipe my yeah. ethereum debit card amen but who doesn't who doesn't think that'd be phenomenal the people that run the banks the that aren't going to get their cut of that. The banks. The people who the people at MasterCard who aren't going to get their 1% there, surcharge. There you go. Who Those are the people that lobby the politicians to get mm -hmm. the shit that they need. We've paid them to. I think, I man, that somebody on the internet posted we should make politicians wear shit like NASCAR suits for all their yeah. sponsors. And I, I'm 100%. Mm -hmm. I 100% yep. agree. It's I not, should know who the hell yes. is paying you to vote certain ways. It's not because my... Because I'm paying you to vote a certain way and yeah. you're not voting that way. Mm -hmm. So who's got more money? Yep, sponsored by Pfizer, sponsored by Coca-Cola, sponsored by McDonald's. Mm -hmm. Who is like, you see, here's the thing, right? What like if, if Fauci walked in with that massive Pfizer yeah. tattoo on his forehead, yeah, I'd have been less inclined to believe him. Right. I, I don't know. Man. I, and it, it's so difficult to sit here and, and podcast articulately on subject matter that's so, so fucking complex. I'm not an expert on any of this. I'm just talking about what I see. Mm -hmm. And it just looks fucked up. I don't know that there's anybody on a national political level that's there purely to represent the interests of American people. No, I think we were we were talking earlier about the politicians you see on TV look horrible. The politicians you meet that, in person are good people. Well, that's so true. So I wonder, like your your theory was, does the media make them look bad? My theory is, once you hit a certain level. It, you've you've thrown out your real impact like we talked like last idea, episode yeah. about how the best way to make an impact is to get with your neighbors yeah and go vote mm -hmm. once you start working for more than a state worth of people really more than a district worth of people right you can't realistically do the right stuff for all of them well no but so at that point take your money well that's the thing though because like every every politician i've met and I, i've worked with and big surprise here you know we've made such a splash in uh in social media marketing that I'm being approached by politicians to actually run marketing campaigns for their elections. So uh, we, we are going to get into 
political marketing for these guys. I mean, they're, they're offering us the right amount of money for it to get our attention. But there's a huge ethical dilemma there because I'm not going to stand behind and work for somebody that I don't have the, the same core values as and that I don't have the same morals and ethics as. So I've met a few local politicians and I've worked with a few of them. And the thing that struck me the most was how unlike every politician that you see on TV, they actually are in person. Um, they, uh, they all care about their community. They all want to make a difference. They all want to serve. They all want to volunteer. But when you see them on TV, it's all, well, this guy did this, and this guy's bad because of this. And I'm like, why don't you just talk about the shit that you've done and that, that appeals to you? And like, man, every single politician on the local level that I've met has a genuine desire to serve the community and to make America a better place. It's because they can have a tangible impact on the people that they represent. Right. They can actually realistically go talk to the 10,000 people. But those, those people over two and three generations of voter cycles, so when I say a gen, like over 12 years, it would be three voter cycles. Um, those are the kind of people that you know, can be put into positions of power within the state and can start making mm -hmm. a difference in Washington against all this stuff. But it would take every single one of us to start electing the right people at the local level and then coming behind them and pushing them towards state-level representation. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that... We... Like, voting is not a one-time support thing. It's a, a continued support. Right. It's right. like, I still think you're doing the right thing for me, so if you, like... I'd like to see you progress further. Well, it's a value exchange. It's just, it's an exchange of value. This fella right here is going to stand up in a room full of other fellas and he is going to represent my values to the best of his abilities. Mm -hmm. So in exchange for that, I will give him my vote. Mm -hmm. And that should be a constant relationship and it should be a constant value exchange between the politician and the community and then back from the community to the politician. Right. But it's not run like that because of what? Because of money. Mm-hmm. Fuck. So the system works. We just broke it by allowing all this fucking money to control the people that we're electing to represent ourselves. They're not representing us. They're representing the people that gave them the money. Yeah. And where did every single one of those dollars come from? Pfizer. Wait, what? <laughs> came from your pocket. Okay, yeah. Well, <laughs> that's not necessarily true. Um, most campaign financing is done through donations of finding people that like really get behind the guy's cause and they'll donate to the campaign. So the taxpayers are really that based off entirely on donation. I think. Oh my God. I don't know. I can't imagine that many people donating or donating that much money to get people elected. Well, but yeah, if I get you elected and I'm like, Hey Kyle, mate, I need a favor. You'd be like, yeah, man, I, you got me elected. Rock and roll. So by paying 10 grand to get oh, you elected, that just buys favors. me 10 grand's worth of favors, you see. So, that's how it it. Works. so money and politics are, are super closely intertwined. However, what this means about the Fed and interest rates, which we're actually fucking talking about. Oh, is, shit, I forgot we started on that the, topic. I don't think there's a way to save this. Mm -mm. I think it's all going to be like, like, and just shit everywhere. It's going to come crashing down. My only hope is that I am 23 and I have a lot of time to rebuild. Well, that and where you actually work and you'll be fine. Like, we'll be fine. I pay a lot of fucking money to sit in a lot of rooms with some really, really smart people that have just, like, it'll be fine. Like, you, 
you can make money on either, either side of the market. Okay, let's say the market crashes completely tomorrow and everybody's fucked. There's going to be people moving. There's going to be people crying. There's going to be houses getting foreclosed. Like, people still need real estate representation. They still need help with banks. They still need help with financing. It's just that we switch our shoes and we start working with investors and we start putting together short sales and we start packaging shit up and turning it into cash flow and short sales for people. And, like, there's so many things we can do there. And then every single fucking client of the media company that has very little money is going to look at me and go, Sam, how do I get more leads? How do I get more clients? How do I operate in this fucking market? Which means we as a company through a recession will probably actually grow, which is, if you think about it, what happened during the last recession. That's exactly what happened when COVID hit. Mm -hmm. So for me, I'm not worried. Yeah, I'm a little bit worried. Um, some of my clients could pay me a little bit quicker. I've noticed over the last few weeks that there's been some drag on getting invoices paid. Um, but then again, they're all repeat clients and we give more value than we cost. So we shouldn't have any problem getting paid and moving forward with those, those kind of deals. Um, you know, the, it's so difficult though, um, to tell a guy with a restaurant that everything's going to be okay, especially after two years of fucking COVID to come back now and, and, and see what's on the horizon. But I think that locally, if everybody looks at their local economy, and sees what they can do to pitch in. I think locally here, we're gonna we're gonna still have more problems with immigration and people moving to Texas than we are ever with the currency collapsing and everything else. Because even if the currency does collapse, guess what? We just start trading fucking potatoes, mate. Like it's not about it's currency. Not for the Irish. It's about value exchange, right? That's all it's about. How many potatoes does it take to kill an Irishman, Kyle? Zero. All right, so there's the racist joke for the show. Let's move to... Wait, is uh, Irish a race? I think it is, right? If I you make it's fun a nationality. Of I don't know, mate. It's I, like making fun of somebody because they're Canadian. It's like, I don't give a shit. You're not allowed to do that, though. It's too easy. That's like beating up kids in the schoolyard. Like, you, you cannot make I fun of know. Canadians. I don't, I don't typically fight kids in the schoolyard. <laughs> not, since, not since you lost the last time. <laughs> hey, those six-year-olds put up a fight, man. There was three of them. <laughs> For those of you that don't know, Kyle's probably 110 pounds completely soaking wet. I am 118, 100, thank you. 118. His 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 best fight move is, is run. Um, Between your legs. <laughs> All right, let's look at the third headline. What you got for me, pal? The uh, third one. France has lifted their unvaccinated and mask-wearing rules regarding COVID-19. That comes also from AP News. Good. So yeah, says, that was like, the. I literally said that when I read the headline. <laughs> They've um... so they wait a minute. Hold on, it says here abolishing the need to wear face masks in most settings and allowing people who aren't vaccinated back into restaurants, sports arenas, and other venues. You mean they had banned them from there? They weren't allowed, like, as if business, right, isn't fucking hard enough to generate. Yeah, and now you're turning away people at the door. Do you realize that the population of people that's not vaccinated is far, far higher than the media? report like we've probably got 50 to 60 percent penetration in vaccination which means that 40 to 50 percent of all the potential customers of your business aren't going to walk through the door because the government said no and you were fucking stupid enough to put up the sign and said you know what i agree with this like do you realize if there was a fucking if there was an airplane company out there that said, hey, guess what? No max, no mass, no vaccines. You're fucking, come on, we're handing out hand sanitizer. Do you know how busy those guys would be? 
Yeah, how busy that. Hey, there was one airport out there that said, "Hey, you know what? Fuck it. Come on, no masks, no nothing. Come in, come through security. You know, do your normal shit, and we'll be good as gold." Everybody would flock to that. You know, you see the guy gets thrown off the airplane the other day for wearing a, a, a fuck Joe Biden sweater, and I'm like, that's his own fucking fault. If you wear a sweater with the word fuck on it, I don't think you should be going to the shops. Um, I do think everybody's got the right to free speech. This is a podcast. Like, I can say fuck all I want. You turn the volume down. Mm-hmm. You, you're not listening to you, to this with your kids. But if I'm on an oh, airplane, no. well, I hope so. I mean, my kids can swear in context as long as I can spell it. Um, it's convenient. They're all really short words. No, I want my... If, if somebody picking on my eight-year-old, I want my eight-year-old to be able to grab him by the collar and say, listen, motherfucker, and then smack the shit out of him. Like, I want that. I don't want my eight-year-old to come back crying to me. I want him to know what a motherfucker is and what context to use that word in. And if he can spell it, all the better. (laughs) But in all reality, I don't think a civilized society has any space for the word fuck on clothing where it can be seen by children. Yeah. Like... We we have, as a society, decided that word means a certain thing, and it is... Right. It it, it should be be sheltered. Yeah, but it's to be passed between adults in adult scenarios. Mm-hmm. And when you wear a word fuck on an airplane, I, I, if it was my airplane, I'd ask you to leave anyway. Now, I wholeheartedly agree with his sentiment about fucking Joe Biden. I think that would be wonderful if he got fucked. Um, but just not on an airplane. And it's the same here with these fucking masks and these fucking injections and all this stuff. If everybody that wants one has one, Everybody that's got one, there's one available for them. I say rock and roll. Mm-hmm. If wear your mask if you'd like, get your injection if you'd like. We'll make this shit work. And the sooner we start lifting these restrictions and opening doors to people that that want to do business, yes, I understand that COVID is a fatal fucking disease. Mm-hmm. I understand it generates issues, but it's not as anywhere close to as fateful. Um, as we were told, mm-hmm. as fatal, sorry, as we were told. Not I think we close. significantly and overreacted well, well, to it. Hold on, we'll get back to that in a minute. Um, the disease now that we know is not as fatal as we've been told, and the vaccines and the masks now we know aren't as efficacious as we've been told, then for me it's like, psh, you might as well get rid of the whole fucking thing, and we just go about having a cold. And it's a nasty cold, and you can take your own precautions, and if you're at risk, by all means... Um, But here's why I want to go back to we overreacted. And again, this was a political conversation I was having the other day. And one guy said, well, I would never vote for him because of what he did when COVID first came out. And I'm like, well, let's back up a minute and remember the information sources that all our politicians had when COVID first came out. Aside from the few that were read into special security briefings and the top level shit, the majority of our politicians, both on the national and on the local stage, only had what they could find on the internet to go off. So they had every last fucking report telling them that this was the disease where people were dropping dead in the streets of China because they got this flu-like infection. I remember... At the beginning of 2020, when everybody was fucking terrified. And now, in hindsight, it seems like an overreaction. Sure. But I am not going to hang any politician on how they voted during the first six, guess, yeah. six to 12 we months of COVID. Now, that 
shit from China like that. The data, six months, eight months in, the data starts coming out. I'm like, oh, okay. Then, if politicians still kept voting with the party line, then I kind of have a problem with what they started to vote for. But you've got to give such amazing grace for those first six to 12 months of the COVID situation because the guys that represent us politically are guys just like us. After having met them and worked with them and been around them, they put their pants on the same way that we do, one foot at a time. And they don't have this special magic information button that they press and they get accurate, verified information. They have the same websites, they have the same news sources, and they have the same talking heads telling them the same fucking things. So all in all, when I look at a politician, especially a local politician, and their policies on COVID, I have to remember how scared we all were and how conflicted I was. I mean, I can consider myself relatively intelligent and I was still in the, oh fuck, this is serious thing and oh fuck, we need to shut this stuff down and we need to sanitize and yeah, masks are a good thing. I didn't really have an opinion against masks until it came out just how worthless they actually were in the scheme of things. And then I was like, well, you know, I'm not going to wear one because it really doesn't do much good and it, I'm not at risk. Were I in an at-risk group, I would want that extra half a percent that the mask would provide. Mm. Um, and, you know, it, it got me in the habit of sanitizing my hands more often. Um, I hope it got some guys in the habit of, of washing their hands after they pee more often. It it actually, I learned how to wash my hands, quote-unquote, properly. Like, but, I was like, well, it's good enough for surgeons. How the hell do they yeah. do it? And I learned how to wash my hand like a surgeon. But I can't blame any politician for the way they voted when COVID came out. No. I can blame them for how they continue to vote. Now we understand a little more of the facts. Um, and overall, I think it's a good thing that France is getting rid of this stuff because it appears to be that the only way we're going to put COVID to bed is by herd immunity, by everybody catching it, everybody having it. And the weak will get weaker and some of them will die and the strong will fucking develop antibodies and will carry those antibodies for a good long amount of time as protection from the future virus. And Pass them on to their kids and your kids won't exactly. have to Exactly. When we boil it down to nature, and nature's ugly, you know, big always fucks little. I've watched multiple videos of rabbits being carried away by hawks. Mm -hmm. Rabbit, we, nature does not care. Weak, or, weak always loses to strong, and maybe the, the, the weak has just lost to the strong on this one, and the strong just have to pick up their shit and move on and say, hey, sorry about your weak guys. Do we really need 8 billion people? I, <laughs> let's not get into that. <laughs> You know, um, but uh, shit, I don't know. But yeah, I think that um, removing masks and people removing the uh, the proof of vaccine, um, I think that's a great step forward. Um, I really don't think we need vaccine passports. I really don't think we need um, any of that digital ID shit that they've been trying to implement. And I, I think that that's, that's the right step forward is to reopen businesses and... Um, you know, the majority of people that have caught it are going to have caught it by now anyway. And uh, it's probably time. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're on, what, year three? I, I, I think. I, I do, sorry. I don't know anymore. I, th I think we're on the fucking... It's still two weeks, right? 
It's the longest two <laughs> weeks two ever. Two weeks of my fucking life. But is the curve flat? <laughs> <laughs> Did the curve get flattened? Oh, wait, no. Oh, shit. shit. All right. Well, before we wrap up today, uh, we have one more segment for the show. It is uh, super cool or is it shut up fool? So we've got a lighter hearted news article from around the internet. Kyle, what have you got for that for us today? I believe it's pronounced Aroostook County to have a dedicated courthouse therapy dog. Aroostook. That is that is a strange. Arus Arustuk. All right, well we'll put we'll put the link in the show notes so they can decide. Oh, look how cute he is! I know it's a little yellow lab puppy wearing a vest that has he does the, he's got a little the vest official on. seal of therapy pups. And it's a puppy. Yes, I, I like it already. So he's a fourteen-month-old yellow Labrador retriever. All right, we'll have to get with the pronunciation on this because it's up in Maine. So if there's any uh, any Maine people, any New England people listening, can help out here. And a Roostuck County courthouse is poised to be the first in Maine to have a dedicated therapy dog to provide emotional support for people dealing with traumatic experiences. That's just the coolest thing. A yellow Labrador puppy named Holiday has begun up to two years of training with a goal of becoming a calming presence in a stressful environment. Now, we know all about therapy dogs, don't we, Kyle? Yes, we do. Tell we us, have one in the office. Tell us about the office therapy dog. We have, I call her our cat herder. Uh, she's technically the director of operations, Bree. Mm. Bree has a service animal named Remy, who is a five-year-old pit bull who was rescued, and he is the sweetest boy I have ever met. He, he is. He's very, very well-tempered. He's very... Uh... Such a good dog. And, you know, it's been fun having him around here because, yeah, he... First thing in the morning, the door opens and the bell rings and I look up and... Because I, I leave my office door open in the morning so I can see. We have a, a long, uh, long, skinny office so I can see all the way down. And that fucking dog, he comes running sideways. He's got this little sideways bounce that he does, a big grin. He's wagging his whole body. He's not just wagging his tail. He's so happy to be here. And so we appointed him uh, HR director. Mm -hmm. And uh, explain a little bit about how that works, Kyle. Well, as you know, an HR department is meant to, I guess, help employees get along with each other. <laughs> uh -huh. And it's really, really hard to have a fight with somebody when you're petting a dog. That is true. And, uh, and we have a saying in the office that uh, unless HR speaks up, it, it goes. <laughs> <laughs> and he's a dog, so he don't speak up very much. He does speak up occasionally. He does get vocal. Yeah. He'll come to talk to you, especially yeah. when you're eating chips and you're not sharing with him. <laughs> <laughs> but all that to say, I mean, he's, he's done the world of good around the office. And, you know, we're... We're creatives, so there's some points in time where we're making a lot of noise and trying to figure shit out and whiteboarding stuff, and there's other points in time where everybody's got their heads down, everybody's got their headphones on, nobody's talking, we're all super focused, deep in projects, and having that dog around, it just... I don't he know, starts man. every single day with a smile. Like it's every single day starts good. It's made such a change, right? If you don't have a dog for your business, I highly recommend going and getting one. It's it sounds so strange, but like the the calming effects that dogs have on humans and the way they change our outlook and our temperament and our mood is like hugs from a dog like give you a very, very similar amount of oxytocin as hugs from a real person. And I think that's why, you know, people say dogs are a man's best friend. But for me, dude, 
Um, I think every courthouse should have a puppy to pet. 100%. Could you imagine? Could you imagine how much more fun it'd be walking in the courthouse? You know, you got to go through the metal detector before you pick all your shit up. You got to stop and pet the puppy and say hello. Like, how much more fun would that be? Like, would make a, it would make a shitty deal because, like, I got to take off my belt, my pocket knife, my wallet, my keys, my pen. Generally, my notebook's got to go in there. Like, man, that's a pain in the ass. Ah, oh, but I get to pet the little dog. Ah, oh, it's going to be cool. You see how that changes? It's so much it? worth it. But I think his entire his entire job is to sit with people who are dealing with abuse and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. They're testifying about that, and it's really hard to relive that situation. But I think it'd be a lot easier if you had a little yellow Labrador retriever sitting next to you that you could scratch the head of. And it, it almost helps to soak up negative energy mm-hmm. by having a little positive uh, positive energy bubble right there. So, I'm, dude, I'm all for it. What do I'm you think? super cool all the super way. Cool, super cool all, super all the way. Cool all the Stamp way. it with super cool, Kyle. <laughs> all Hell right. Yeah. Well, sweet. So that was uh, that was super cool. All right. If you want to read about any of the news articles we discussed in the show, they will be up in the show notes and um if there's anything you want us to discuss you can shoot uh kyle an email over at kbeasley at txfoundry.com and um or you can shoot me a, a dm over on instagram the team runs the instagram now so it's at small business surgeon and uh, we'd love to uh, we'd love to discuss some things that were on you guys minds too all right anything else to add my friend I don't think so. That's okay. pretty good for me. All right. It's time to uh, do what we do and get back to work. If you have enjoyed the show, do us a favor, pay the fee and uh, share the show. Talk about it with your friends. Run over, leave us a review and uh, hit that subscribe button. We love it. All right. So for me and Kyle, you'll be good. Stay safe and uh, check us out again on Friday for this week's version of Friday Fire. Later. Bye. This has been the Small Business Surgeon Podcast. If you've made it this far, you clearly like it. So go on iTunes and leave us a five-star review. This helps people find the show and spread the good word. Share with friends and follow us at Small Business Surgeon on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you for your follow-up next week. The Small Business Surgeon was recorded at Texas Media Foundry in historic downtown Bryan, Texas. Check them out at txfoundry.com or on social media at txfoundry. Thanks for tuning in.